Hello and welcome. I'm Dr. Tom Cheney, and this is Living Health Live. My co-host for the show and in our practice is my wife, Dr. Stephanie Cheney. Thanks for joining us. During the next 30 minutes, Dr. Steph and I are going to provide you on information on how to live a better, healthier life free of chronic diseases like diabetes, neuropathy, autoimmunity, pain, and arthritis. This is your place to get valuable health information to help you improve your health naturally. Check out our website at mylivinghealth.com. You can also sign up for our newsletter there. Also, call our office and schedule an appointment at 410-216-9180. So let's get started. Started with today's show. Today we're talking about food allergies. Are food allergies making you sick? And there's a lot of information about food allergies and food intolerances. So let's talk about the difference between the two. Right. So um, there are different immune markers that are um, stimulated to be produced depending on the type of uh, infectious agent or trigger to the immune system. And it there's a difference between a, a food allergy and a food intolerance. And that's what I kind of want to clear up first before we get into um, what we test, test for and why. Um, so the different immune markers that can be stimulated um, to be produced, in the ones that are produced in an actual food allergy. So when I say food allergy, I'm referring to that anaphylaxis, uh, throat, tongue swelling, um, peanut allergy, fish seafood allergy type thing. That is an IgE or immunoglobulin E um, marker. So that's a diff that that IgE is what causes that type of really acute, intense allergy type reaction. So that's one type of immune reaction. Correct. Okay. Um, there are other types of immune reactions and the one that we are looking for, or there's two of them um, in some cases, um, it's more of a delayed immune reaction. So this is more of the reaction you would get if you were fighting a flu virus or an infection. There's a slow kind of ramp up to peak at a certain point. So this isn't something that happens in seconds or minutes, but this may manifest as an inflammatory reaction days later, and it can stay high for a while. Um, and this is a, a problem um, for a lot of people um, as far as, you know, depending on what disease you're talking about. So the immune marker in the cases where we're talking about delayed onset, um, one of them is immunoglobulin G or IgG. So that's different than IgE, which is the acute um, reaction. And another one is IgA. So we look at both of those markers. Um, IgG tends to tell us what's going on within the system, within the, you know, throughout the blood system and certain tissues. IgA is more linked to what are called mucosal tissues. These are the gland secretion type tissues. So we find these more in like the gut lining. Um, they can also be um, in certain glands, pancreas, mucus glands like the saliva, things like that. So the IgE reaction would be an obvious type reaction. You know, like you said, it's, a, it's the peanut allergy. Um, some of these obvious types of reactions where as an IgG or some of these other delayed onset responses can be more challenging to identify. Yes, and um, there's different ways of testing. You know, IgG, when you think of um, like the actual allergy, whether it's hay fever, seasonal, dust mites, peanuts, seafood, things like that, you know, there's the skin test that you can go get, um, and they're looking for that immediate redness, the immediate histamine uh, inflammation reaction. That's the IgE allergy reaction. What we're doing is um, we do food 
allergy or intolerance testing, but we're looking for IgG and or IgA markers, the delayed reactions, because these are the insidious um, reactions that could be contributing to someone's ill health. And it's a chronic underlying kind of reason for why they're sick. And so if we can track down um, and interpret the test in such a way that we can create the proper food plan for someone, then um, that can help lower the inflammation because this is not a good inflammation to have um, chronically and at a high level in the system. This is the inflammation that over time leads to degenerative diseases. And so we want to make sure that we're um, really working to keep these in check. <clears throat> so that's what we're looking for is the IgG, IgA. We sometimes loosely refer to the testing in our office um, just for convenience as our food allergy testing, but it's really a food intolerance versus the acute allergy like that most people are um, aware of. And we're looking for these because they can impact a person's health, um, impact chronic disease, right. um, autoimmune diseases. Yeah, so what happens is um, if this is one of an inflammatory reaction that you have, so let's say, let's say you have an intolerance and we test you and we find out that you're intolerant to almonds um, and broccoli. Um, we just had a patient earlier that we were talking to that found out that he has this high intolerance to broccoli. Now, broccoli is a healthy food, and not a lot of people have an allergy to broccoli as far as, you know, the peanut type allergy. But for him, what happens is um, it causes his immune system to be ramped up, overly inflamed, and it contributed to his diabetes. And so chronic illnesses like diabetes, where you're having elevated sugars, um, insulin resistance, um, other autoimmune type diseases. So autoimmunity is where your body is now um, accidentally or inadvertently attacking your own tissues. So some common autoimmune diseases that people are familiar with is type 1 diabetes, where you're attacking your pancreas, Hashimoto's thyroiditis, where you're attacking your thyroid, multiple sclerosis, you're attacking your central nervous system, celiac disease, where you're attacking your intestines, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, there's a lot of different musculoskeletal autoimmune diseases, um, even Lou Gehrig's disease is an autoimmune disease, ALS. And so these are, um, these are actually where you're now having IgG reactions to your own tissues. And sometimes they can be associated with the food IgG, meaning if you eat broccoli and you happen to have an IgG reaction and you're eating it every day because it's supposedly healthy, um, which it is for many people, then you could actually be stimulating accidentally um, an inflammation against yourself. And we'll talk about how that happens in a, in a moment. But, um, you know, the most common food intolerance that I think people are aware of now um, that's in the mainstream is gluten, gluten intolerance or gluten reactivity. It's very um, commonly talked about. You can read about it almost everywhere. There's tons of gluten-free products out there. Um, and so that when you're testing for gluten intolerance, you're actually testing for IgG and or IgA reactions, not the, not the IgE histamine reaction. So what we do is we use um, food intolerance testing in our office to determine if that is a potential cause, if reactions to food um, is a potential cause for the inflammation that is contributing to your chronic disease, neuropathy, diabetes, um, thyroid problems, weight gain, memory loss, whatever it is, rheumatoid arthritis, psoriasis. And so then we can take that food list, remove some of those foods that are 
lighting you up like a Christmas tree is what I usually say, um, causing that chronic inflammation. And then when we remove those things, then we're able to see the inflammation come down. You're no longer attacking your own tissues or causing your sugars to be high. And so that can help put a chronic condition into the path of remission. So this could be a reason why a patient could feel like, or a person listening, could feel like they're doing everything they've been told to do. So they're um, changed their diet and they have a um, quote unquote healthy diet. Mm-hmm. Um, yet, you know, they're not able to lose the weight. They still are, you know, chronically fatigued. Um, they still have the joint achiness and, mm-hmm. and they still have these chronic health issues. Um, so this really provides a tool to prescribe the correct nutritional uh, regimen. Right. And sometimes the, um, Sometimes we're lucky enough that we actually run these tests on people early before they've been diagnosed with something um, at the end point, right? By the time you've been diagnosed with a disease, it's usually kind of in the latter half to quarter of the, you know, the existence of that disease process in the body. But um, like you just mentioned, it just kind of prompted me to think about it. You know, sometimes these food intolerances, especially earlier on in life when we have them and we haven't gotten to that point of having it for so long that we get diagnosed with something, could be the reason why we're just tired or slightly depressed or having a little bit of brain fog or we're a little achy in the morning. Like you don't have an out disease yet, but it could be the reason why you just don't feel good or like yourself or whatever. And so, um, you know, seasonal affective disorder, you know, I just don't, (laughs) I just have that, that knee ache from an old injury that kind of bothers me. Um, so it can be just something as subtle as that, because oftentimes when we're working for, you know, with someone for diabetes reversal, for example, and we find out what foods they can and can't eat, and then we, we fix their food list accordingly, they get great results with the sugars, but then also their joint pain and their brain fog and other things clear up as well. So, um, they can be very subtle, um, they can be very subtle expressions. It could be just chronic underlying headaches. You know, people walk around with a chronic headache 24 seven, seven days a week. We've actually had patients come in that, that almost forgot they were even having headaches. They came in for, I don't know, neck pain or knee pain or back pain. And, and it wasn't until the end of the consultation, they were like, you know what? I, I think I've had headaches for almost every day for the last year and a half. It's just that subtle, low grade, under the surface, not doing so well, but not bad enough for you to really have to deal with it. Right. Right. And so, um, anyway, so, um, sometimes those are the things that, um, are, are caused by some of these inflammatory reactions to, to foods. So you can see inflammation, you can see changes in, um, like the potential for autoimmunity as well, which you referred to, um, earlier, which I think is, is really good that we can see on the front end before somebody has, some of these autoimmune conditions, we can say, hey, you've got the potential um, that this may be an issue if you continue on this path. Right. When you're talking about autoimmune diseases, like the ones that I listed earlier, um, there's there's sort of a what we call a triad of autoimmunity um, as far as causes, uh, underlying causation, right? So one is a genetic susceptibility, which unfortunately where we are at as a human species, especially in this cu- country with all of the, the chemical exposure that we've had and the stressful lives we lead, um, once that genetic switch has been flipped on, it can be very easily transmitted to offspring and it may take several generations to be able to actually back it out. So, um, there is a genetic predisposition. So, um, uh, 
someone with uh, a mother that had rheumatoid arthritis and the, the autoimmune thyroid condition, um, they may now also have that genetic susceptibility for an autoimmune disease. We see that especially with our thyroid patients. Oh yeah, my mom had a thyroid condition, my grandma had a thyroid condition. Well, it just turns out they were all autoimmune, genetically um, born kind of cases. And then the other part of that triad is um, in uh, increased barrier permeability. So the barriers that we have that protect us from the outside world that keep our body safe from the onslaught of organisms and bad foods and chemicals and things like that, your um, intestinal lining, your lung barrier, your brain barriers, these barriers are very, very important to keep intact. It's one of the things that we address with most patients. And then the third one, and this is where we're talking about uh, food allergy or intolerance testing, is environmental triggers. So one big trigger for autoimmune disease can be food allergies. There can be other autoimmune triggers that are environmentally based, like chemical exposures or um, chronic infections or acute infections, viral, fungal, things like that. Basically, what we're seeing is anything that irritates the immune system and ramps it up to attack on a chronic basis can eventually lead to, if you have a genetic susceptibility and leaky barriers to autoimmune conditions. So that's how we use food intolerance testing really in our office. Okay, so there's three key components. So the, you have to have the, the genetic potential. There's also the barriers, mm -hmm. um, specifically the gut barrier, which is very important, and then environmental triggers. So one of the things we talked about in our detoxification show is how our bodies right now in our current environment, is we're just bombarded with all these different chemicals. Yes. So we want to limit our, our, our chemical exposure as well. So we've gone through and we talked about some of the different types of reactions. We talked about some of the susceptibility and some of the issues that could lead to the potential to have some of these allergies. Now what we're going to talk about are some of the tests that we use and why we use them in the office. Right. So one of the labs that we use primarily for food intolerance testing is a lab called Cyrex Laboratories. And you can, you can look them up. Their website is cyrexlabs.com. And um, they are probably the, the forefront, tip of the iceberg, the edge of the wave, top of the line, best labs out there as far as sensitivity testing. Um, the owner of the lab um, is the, the brain behind developing this type of actual food intolerance testings for even some of the main labs that people are familiar with, like LabCorp and whatnot. Um, and he started his own lab. He's very well respected in the immunology world on the global stage. And um, so Cyrex is, um, we're very happy to be able to have that ability to use their testing. Um, the reason why it's important for us to use these tests um, in cases like um, diabetes reversal, which we're known for, autoimmune remission and whatnot, is because food allergies or food intolerances, they can increase inflammation. And when I say increase inflammation, sometimes that's sort of an abstract kind of idea. Um, but what, what, that, what that means is that you're increasing the number of attack cells and you're increasing the amount of attack sites. And so if you are ramping up inflammation against yourself, that means your immune system is now turning and attacking you at a higher level. You want your immune system to be quietly humming, 
never attacking you, but always circulating. The cells are always circulating, kind of on patrol, patrolling the borders like your gut and your lungs. And they're there to basically take out viruses, bacteria, and yeast, invaders that shouldn't be there. And if they're doing their job well, you should just be able to go on about your business and not know anything's happening. But if we start bombarding our immune system, or if some trip happens and some trigger occurs that causes our immune system to hyperreact and then go after more than just the viruses and bacteria, but now attacking foods and then ultimately turning and causing you to attack yourself, you've got a very out of control immune system. It's like a, a wildfire that is not controllable. And so our goal with the food allergy or intolerance testing is to determine if there's some gas that we can take off the fire. So we're not causing that immune system to be constantly ramping up. You really wear your system down when you're overworking it like that and you destroy tissue. And this is what causes degeneration of joints. It causes degeneration of nerve tissue. When we have an autoimmune disease, that's literally what's happening is the immune system's just destroying it. And so our goal is to have that not happen anymore. Cyrex Labs has several different test panels, and the ones we use mainly are um, test panel 3, 4, and 10. And I'm going to just very briefly go over what those are. They're pretty awesome tests. One is a gluten reactivity test or gluten sensitivity test. Why would we do this test versus sending someone to a regular lab? Well, this is the only test on planet Earth that actually doesn't just test one gluten marker, but tests five different gluten markers different proteins that come from gluten, as well as several other different proteins that are in wheat um, and other grains that can cause gluten type reactions. And so we're talking about a lot of people test negative, about half of the people that don't have celiac disease or have um, non-gut related gluten intolerance, they test negative to standard testing because they're only testing for one gluten marker instead of five. And the test that we're using doesn't just test IgG, the one reaction we talked about, it tests both IgG and IgA, IgA. So you're getting very, very thorough comprehensive testing. And so we, um, we can determine if someone has a definitive gluten reactivity. This panel also has a few different markers that um, are for certain gluten type proteins that are within our own body that hold our body together. So these are inherent in us. And we could actually, because of having reactivity to gluten, we can have that similar cross reaction or an immune cell confusion with similar proteins in our own body. And so if we start having reactions to our own body glue proteins, then that could be a predictor for a potential autoimmune disease. That means if you keep eating gluten, you could, if you have the genetic predisposition and all the stars align, you could end up attacking nerve tissue, um, skin tissue, gut tissue. So there's different markers that can tell us if someone is potentially likely to get or if this is more of a, you already have psoriasis, and this is confirming that the gluten is a likely trigger. So it's very, very good specific testing, and that will help us determine if a patient can handle gluten or not. One test that we do also, which is the second panel um, that we're talking about, number four, that is a cross-reactivity, cross-associative test. And what that does is it takes the common gluten-free foods like um, oat and millet and rice and tapioca and hemp um, and corn, 
and it there's several of it, about 24 different uh, markers, and it tests to see if you're actually having a gluten IgG IgA reaction to those foods, so a cross reaction, meaning your immune system has gotten a little confused, and now when you eat corn or rice or potato starch, you actually have that gluten reaction. So it's not enough to just go off and be gluten-free sometimes for people, they could actually, I'm gonna give you my own experience. So I don't test really, really high for the gluten markers. I do test positive for gluten, but my highest quote-unquote gluten reaction, the, the food that actually gets my gluten antibodies really, really ramped up is tapioca starch. And what is in a lot of gluten-free foods, baked goods? If you read the ingredients, it's tapioca. So for 